listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. For the first time in my broadcasting career, I have absolutely no idea how to introduce my guest today. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried to put something together and the usual bio just kind of doesn't work. There's just too much to say about this woman. It's impossible to put it into a soundbite, so let me just say that after doing my research and finally seeing her in concert a few years ago, I'm now a fan. Not bad for a guy who was forced to listen to country music as a kid and has only been to one country music concert in his life. Please welcome to our show today the incomparable Winona Judd. Winona, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You do a you do a wicked Elvis impersonation. I don't even think it's an impersonation. Come on. I think he's actually channeling me. <laughs> I really do. I have the faith. I grew up between Caesar's Palace and the Hilton in Las Vegas, and I would be sitting there lining my perfectly lined lips, um, and I would just feel his vibe. So has he rubbed off on me? Absolutely. My pop, my mother's husband, used to sing with the king. Of course, now he lives with the queen and is married to her, my mother. And I I think I have a unique, what's that word I'm looking for, um, sort of that raw uncertainty that Elvis had. I've been compared to him, and it's really kind of funny. I have a tabloid that actually claims I am this, uh, his, his love child. Wow. That's when you know you've made it. You know, you know you've made it when, yeah. <laughs> well, I know that your first country concert was Merle Haggard opening for George Jones in California. That is correct. Ooh, you did read the bio. Well, I'm just very proud to say that you were my first. Well, you know, I have such a history, or I should say herstory, that I go back to 1970-something. Yes, it was my first country concert, and I remember it so well. And, and the album that I put out, that we'll be talking about a little bit, really sort of um, is, is a marker, a milestone marker for me of all the experiences that I've had in country music and abroad, um, you know, singing with Sting or Shaka Khan or, you know, these characters that I've met along the way. And I just got a phone call from Tony Bennett's son yesterday saying, oh, well, he's vacationing in Italy. He'll call you when he gets home. <gasps> I would die. <laughs> I am really convinced that it's really important for me to honor these legends, you know, whose shoulders I stand upon, and that's why the record is out now based on these incredible legends that we're losing, by the way. Um, and so, yes, Merle Haggard, I recorded one of his songs, and I did it at CMA Fest here in Nashville right before my mom came out on stage and twirled. Um, and there's a line in that song, let's stand up for the flag and let's ring the Liberty Bell. And 50,000 people, I thought we were going to have a... Oh, we are the world or something. It was crazy what music does to people. But this song brings back such memories of traveling with him and opening for one of the greatest legends of, of music, period. Hmm. So that's what these songs represent. They're like snapshots. They're like chapters of my life when I spent most of it grounded in my teenage years. These are the songs I listened to growing up. Like you said, you were forced 
to listen to country. That's really funny, by the way. I've heard that a lot. And um, But for me, I got to open for a lot of these characters when I was 18 years old. I mean, think about the, the history of that, you know, getting to work with Tammy Wynette. I sang at her funeral. So I recorded one of her songs because she's my earth angel, you know, at the time. So the, this music, we must not forget where we come from. Well, and let me see if I got this right, where you came from. Started playing guitar around 8 or 9, began singing with your mom, Naomi, around 1978, just for the fun of it. And then after you graduated high school in 82, you ladies did a live audition with RCA Victor and were signed on the spot. Are you kidding me? One of the largest labels in the history of music? They sent us down Music Row. There was a restaurant a couple of blocks away, and they literally held us there at the restaurant while they had a meeting. And our manager came in the door with that look on his face like we had just won the lottery and said, and I'll never forget it, it was March 2nd, 1983, at 6 o'clock p.m. was the audition. It's kind of like, where you, you know, where were you when Kennedy was shot yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. I remember that very moment when he said, congratulations, the two of you are now RCA artists. And I remember the very next line was, is it going to be Naomi and Winona Judd or Winona and Naomi? <laughs> Thinking, because, you know, I was 18 years old and I was I was wanting to be a rock star and travel the world with Bono and, you know, be be in a band. And all of a sudden, here I am on the bus with this woman whose hair I'm doing every night, and she's wearing her little prissy butt dresses, and I'm going, God, what are you thinking? You know, this. and so now, of course, looking back on it, I realize he knew what he was doing putting me on there, because I learned so much about honor and respect and being raised in this business the way I am. I was at a time when we call it the shake and howdy. You know, we'd go to radio stations and visit guys for three and five hours at a time, and there was just time. You know, we had fellowship. We had we had backstage chatter. You know, nowadays you go to the CMA and everybody's got their own bus because we're all just so fabulous. <laughs> you know, we have to have our own posse to come and do hair and makeup. We can't share. God forbid if I have to share with Tammy Wynette. I mean, I shared a dressing room with her and Dolly, okay? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Can you imagine? The things I've gotten away with... Um, the places I've been, the people I've met, performed for four presidents, um, Macy's Day Parade, Super Bowl, you know, the World Series. Music is, is the backdrop of everyday life and celebration, death included. You know, how many funerals have we been to and played at and heard about, you know, playing Grandpa or one of, one of the Judd songs, you know, so quite a journey. Well, now after 25 years, may I just say, at the risk of sounding like a complete suck-up, I don't, I, th I don't think I know another woman out there who looks so good after so much. 45 and five colors of red? Boy. Yeah, five. Five this month. Yeah. I just turned 45. And, uh, or 30, 15 on a really good day, like when I play um, the show with you guys. I am pretty sassy, and I think what I am is an example of what happens when you have a transformation um, and you go within. You know, I often say to my fans, if you don't go within, you go without. I've gone without for about 20 years of just working and struggling and fighting my way through the battle. And I guess when I turned 45 in May, I literally had a meeting with myself and said, okay, you got to quit worrying. you got to quit trying to fit into all the formats. And you're just going to need to really start enjoying yourself. You really deserve to. Oh, yeah. I mean, because let's be straight here. Miley Cyrus is not getting any phone calls from Tony Bennett these days. Well, I just did Larry King, and he asked me what I do a duet with her, and you know what I said? <laughs> said, well, because she lives five miles from me. I said, well, she'll need to come over and do some chores first. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get mail about this. And, I, you know, it's just I'm an elder. You yeah. know, everybody under 20 is a baby to me. 
Um, remember that age where everybody over 40 was old? Uh-huh. So I guess I'm in the VOP section now, the very old people section compared to Miley. But you know what? Kids know who I am because my fans out there are bringing their children to see me at Fanfare this year. I still call it that. I met little girls who knew who I was, and I thought, boy, this is a really great day because the fact that they know who I am, you know, the Judds represent the American dream. You know, we represent three generations of, of being raised on welfare and going from welfare to millionaire um, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people see themselves in us. And so I used to, um, Billy Ray used to open for me back when he had the mullet. Wow. Very exciting. <laughs> and he was singing Achy Breaky Heart, and I was like, oh, my God, all these women are swooning. Get over it. <laughs> and, and then I'd come out, you know, and sing No One Else on Earth. And it was just, it, it's been an awesome experience. You know, I've literally raised some of these, these children in country music um, on stage in terms of giving them, I, I guess you would say mentor. I don't really try to give advice. I just try to say, hey, save your money. Yeah. You know, get a good lawyer. Say no. Um, but I remember meeting Leanne Rimes when she was 15. I remember meeting Tim McGraw when he, and when he had a mullet, too. You know, and I remember Garth Brooks opening for us and Mom saying, I'll never forget this. I'm not sure if he's going to make it or not. <laughs> I remember those days. Uh, your mom told me, who was it that came and did some painting for you? Was it, it wasn't Keith Urban, was it? No. Um, a lot of them have you know, been on the road with us, and so who knows what my mom yeah. made them do. I don't know. You know, the, all the chores I grew up. I mean, I had an apron on at three. I mean, read my book. I talk about child labor and um, being in Appalachia, living without a telephone or TV. Hmm. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of chore time. And my mom believed in lists making and so i was raised with a great work ethic and i became a perfectionist and a work addict and so back in 2003 i got into recovery from trying to meet and please every single person on the planet so it's been quite a journey of healing from all that you know i haven't said happy birthday yet my apologies happy birthday oh it's you, you have a year Oh, really? That's My the grace? My start early and end late. So, you <laughs> well, know. did you enjoy that spinning your orange Harley? You know what I did? Yeah. I actually took a nap, and I felt really good about it. And um, I guess that's what you do. You know, you get to a point in life where I've rocked so hard. I was going through boxes the other day because we put a Judd's Museum in our little town here during Fanfare Week, and we literally had like 45 dresses of my mother's. I mean, they're works of art. I mean, Elton John never had it so good. <laughs> Um, and so there's like boots and pictures and, and just stuff everywhere. And so I was going through all my stuff. I mean, I've, you know, I've been on stage with Aerosmith. I've gotten away with so much mm. that I shouldn't have. And now I just want to take a nap. Yeah. I just want to rest. I just want to be and not have to prove myself, but enjoy myself now. And so that's my plan for the next, you know, next career. <laughs> what did your sister Ashley cook for you on your birthday? They cooked for me. We grilled, of course. That's what you do in the South, mm-hmm. you know, and fresh corn. Thank you very much. I can't believe you just didn't go over to Monell's. Seriously. I didn't go to Monell's. I actually, I actually stayed on my ally program. I stayed pretty close. Um, I did have a small, you know, piece of cake. I believe in moderation. I don't believe in that word with the, with dye in it. Mm. Um, that I just, you'll never hear me say. I believe in celebration, and you know, I believe in in the family. You know, sit around the supper table and talk about everything, but our careers. So that day was really special for me because Mom and Ashley really doted on me, and it was like, oh, this is better than anything because, you know, we're all so busy and we're all trying to be alpha females that conquer the world. And yet here's Ashley and Mom saying, you know, can I get you some more tea? And I was just like, 
Can someone please film this? Yeah, I was just going to say, where's the video camera? Yeah, where's the video camera? <laughs> so it was a great day. We played um, we played games and we just sat around and laughed a lot, which to me. You know, so refreshing. That's actually. good. Well, 25 years in the biz, uh, just celebrated the birthday. You must, I don't know, does it kind of put you in a state of reflective introspection? Totally. To the point where my kids roll their eyes. They're like, okay, here she goes. <laughs> She's going to tell another story. <laughs> um, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually contemplating writing another book because I have, have had so many chapters in my life. And that's literally how the album became chapter one. We were talking one day about all the incredible moments I've had on stage and off. Um, you know the trips uh, from the Indianapolis 500 with the you know all the cops you know in front of me giving me the the presidential you know whisk away. Um, I've flown in helicopters to 50,000 seat you know stadiums and I've gotten to be on stage playing guitar with Bono and U2 and I just think of all this stuff and I go oh my gosh I've had a lifetime times infinity already and so um, yeah. I'm in a state right now where I just am really reflective, and the album represents that because I remember being 15 and watching Stevie Ray Vaughan and his brother Jimmy sing. Yeah, but don't even start with that story. Don't that, even when, get me started. When I heard that, I just flipped because, I mean, to hear those brothers, you know, Jimmy Vaughan, Fabulous Thunderbird, Stevie Ray in the other room practicing. You don't understand. I grew up on, you know, Kim played on one of my records. I mean, I grew up with Tower of Power. I grew up with... The, the fabulous Thunderbirds. I mean, I, I recorded Tough Enough, thank you very much. Mm. And I'm not your average kid here. I am quite the risk taker. And I have people like, I just had Kev Moe fly, he was in Nashville, and we met, and we were going to work together. And, you know, I've gotten to meet these incredible artists like India Ari, and I'm getting ready to go see Eddie Vedder tonight. He's playing the Ryman, can you believe that? Wow. The, the Mother Church. Yeah. And I get to do this stuff. I was at an Elton John concert with Billy Joel, and he dedicated a song to me. I thought I would absolutely, it's like, where's the oxygen tank? I'm going to pass out. And I, I forget. I really do. I forget I know these people. Yeah, but how often do you have a guy come up to you and ask you to sign an 8x10 for his dead mother? Well, that was, I can honestly say, and I remember, I just, like, the line stopped. Um, I signed for five hours at uh, Fanfare this week. Okay, CMA Fest if you're modern. Um, and I'm standing there, and this guy says that. Yeah, he says, sign this for my mom. And I do stuff all the time. I mean, literally, I'm in Walgreens here in Nashville, and someone will hand me a cell phone and say, will you say hi to my mom? And, of course, I do, because I can't get enough. I love it. I love people and music. So I'm talking to this guy, and he says, yeah, I want to take it out to my mom's um, tombstone tomorrow. And I just looked at him like, wait a minute. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, and this is not one of them. Um you're taking this out to your mother's gravesite. Wow! And then it, it registered with me, you know, with all those fans standing there, and I just looked at him like, "This is pretty deep and wide. This isn't just, you know, about an HBO special coming up or I just won an award. This is like, this kid's serious because his mom raised him on jazz music. So you are really amazing with the people." Because you are the people. I'm starting to sound like something you guys say down there. You sound like a judge. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you and I just met briefly backstage back in 2006, and totally not fair for me to base what I felt on such a brief encounter. Uh, but I just had the sense, I don't know what was going on, but I just had the sense that 
you were hurting me. I don't know. You know, it's, I, I said to Kathy Lee the first time I interviewed her, I am so sorry for sitting back on my couch and judging you, you know, whether you were a genuine Jesus person or not based on this side or the other. That was just absolutely wrong. So I don't think there's a, there was a judgment thing happening, but it was like I could see you just kind of sitting on your front porch in some rocking chair just thinking about the journey you've been on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a book out that I'm, I'm reading two books right now. One is called The Prodigal God, which I tell people. I mean, I literally just bought I went on Amazon.com, my assistant did, because I don't have a computer, and I ordered like 24 of them. I'm passing them out to everyone I see in the airport. That book and, and a book called Blink, which means we really do know more than we realize if we follow our spirit. Our gut gets it before our head does. In other words, in a blink of an eye, we can make a judgment about something and it be true. We don't have to wait 10 years to know someone. If you want to know someone, go to their house when they're not there for 30 minutes kind of thing. Seriously, if you want to know somebody, look in their medicine cabinet or, you know, that's why people go through people's stuff. The bottom line is, if you want to know me, go on my website. And I'm pretty honest, and I'm, I have to admit, you know, for the first 20 years, I was reacting to an awful lot that was happening to me. You know, I get the phone call, okay, I'll do it, and I, I overbooked myself. Um, I was late because I would, I would be like a lot of the people um, who are raised like I am to believe that we should love our neighbor more than ourselves. I didn't understand the balance between self-care and selflessness. And I, for a long time, was very quiet. And out on the road, people developed an opinion of me that I was quite the diva attitude from hell uh, chick singer. And quite the opposite. I was terrified. I, was, I had performer's anxiety. People don't know what I went through backstage looking for exits. Hmm. Um, please don't make me go out there and host this segment of this um, award show that's nationally televised. I might say something inappropriate. I never knew what I was going to say or do. My mother used to literally give me speeches about being prepared and, would you please write your acceptance speech for once in your life? And I'm like, no, I don't live that way. I've never been that way, and I can't be you. And there was the struggle because my mother's organized. Everything matches. I showed up to Donahue and had a, literally had a T-shirt on, and I had to borrow our assistant's <laughs> shirt. And I'm not kidding. You know, I'm in it for the music. I'm in it for the experience. And it's only been in the last probably five years that I've started to really stop, take a look around. That's why I want to know what love is. It's such an important song for me because it was the beginning of me saying, okay, slow down, rest, you know, in the arms of the Father. Don't just do a human doing thing. Be a human being and relax. And I've started to really enjoy myself more and appreciate my experience. Well, one of the reasons I decided to, to do this show six years ago after I, I moved back to Canada from Australia was that I, I was just sick and tired of only hearing the glory stories in Christian media or in the pulpit. That's all the God folks seemed to allow in the spotlight was the victory-only stories. And I suddenly began to realize that North American church leaders were slowly brainwashing uh, the Jesus people mm-hmm. and driving them into the shame-guilt cycle because the vast majority of Christ followers that I know anyway are actually living messy lives. And as my uh, favorite author, uh, Mike Iaconelli, used to say, messy spirituality is a Christianity most of us live, but few of us admit. Wait till you read The Prodigal God. It's, um, to me, there are several dirty words in, in this um, English language, and Christian has become one of the words for me. Yeah, me too. I'll give you an example, and it's, this is pretty gut-bucket honest. When I got my DUI, they pulled all my music off of Christian radio. And I remember that humiliation, and I remember coming home with my head held uh, very, very low, you know, my heart was just broken. I had made an, an incredibly unhealthy choice, and I was so ridiculed by it. And I remember that feeling of, wait a minute, you know, because I've worked my whole life to be the elder son, 
to do the right thing, yeah. to show up, uh, to wait for God to walk through the room. And so when that happened to me, I remember thinking, now I know what it feels like to be gay, to be shunned, to be... I know that feeling of not belonging is my point. I know what that feels like to be that person who's set up to fail and then, you know, the public humiliation of being pregnant without being married. And I've been through a lot of that that trauma in my life. And when I read The Prodigal God, it talked an awful lot about let's not, let's be very careful and not become the elder son. And the word righteous comes to mind. And so I'm on a healing journey from being raised and, and dangled over hell, I will admit. You know, I was raised to... Well, just to be as perfect as a person can be, and now I realize, you know what, I think people see themselves in me because I represent real life, which yeah. is really unpredictable and messy, and, and here's what you do when you get knocked down and you get back up again, and I think the gospel of Jesus is where I live, and I live there because that's the grace and the mercy. I mean, I named my daughter Grace for a reason, because that's what I live in the grip of every day, besides the grip of Grace, I live in the grip of my daughter. Um, we're learning how to heal. You know, the veil has been lifted on my family. Uh, we've had a lot of secrets in our family. I found out at 30 my dad is not my biological father. What do you do with that stuff? You know, do you become better or bitter? And so my albums are what happens to me through this journey. I go in the studio and I purge all of those different feelings between hopelessness and hopefulness. And the prodigal God really brought me home. It helped me understand we must not get um, alienated. I don't care how you get there. there we're going to be alienated. And what do we do with that? And we, how do we come back to the light? And that's why people love to come to my shows, because I talk about that. You know, you and I share endorsements in the same book. Okay. I think there's another book that might have had a, a pretty good impact on you, The Shack. It did. It did indeed. My daughter just uh, finished nine weeks of walking in a wilderness program, living on the earth, um, the desert floor, actually. And um, we're all on a journey to self-discovery. And when Grace came back from the wilderness, um, I had a conversation with Paul, who has become a friend, I'm, I'm proud to say. And he wrote that book for his children. He spent $300 in marketing, and it has sold over a million three. Yeah, it's up to six now. Is it? Yeah. Well, there you go. I haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks. Um <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm amazed by the people I meet and their stories. And Paul's story is quite a unique one. And, yes, the shack had a profound effect on me. Yeah, me too. Me to the point of it blew all my Baptist upraising straight and narrow stuff right out the door. Me Soft. too. <laughs> it was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? This is, oh, wow. Wow, this is crazy. And so the straight and narrow, not so much. They're not going to... They're not going to relate to it. But it vibrated with me because I think all things are possible. And how dare I look through the small keyhole of my little brain. It's like the ant trying to understand, you know, the Internet. How dare I, you know, think that, that Jesus is wearing all white with, you know, Savior sandals and blonde hair, blue eye. Yeah. So I, I went into this state of absolute joy and bliss of knowing that, you know, we don't have a clue. And that's why they call it faith. And I now have a new saying that... And I've re re redone this in my brain over and over again. Is believing is seeing. Believing is seeing, and and that's where I'm at right now at 45. In my 30s, I mean, in my 20s, I was so busy running around the country trying to outdo all the statistics that I had previously set with mother that I really lost my perspective. And now I'm like, I do believe. I really do. I may be really, really frustrated, and have 
turn that bus around many a time to go back to the hotel and, you know, cuss out whatever and whoever. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I'm not going to give up because that would just be too easy, and there would be a party in my honor, and I know who would be throwing it. Yeah. I'm just honorary enough to say, um, I don't think so. Wrong day, wrong girl. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, there's a, there's a guy who I've, I've come to know the last little bit, Dr. Daniel Taylor. He wrote a book called The Myth of Certainty. And the premise of this book is that actually doubt is more compatible with faith than certainty is. Whoa. Let me write that one down. Okay. And I just look at your life, right? I mean, you, you know, the six weeks in Buffalo Gap, Texas, right? The treatment center for the food addiction. Mm -hmm. You've given your heart away in two marriages, and both times it's been snapped. Uh, there's the DUI stuff. But even through all of it, Winona, mm -hmm. you've kept crawling back to your father. Yeah, I remember the day I was on SmokingGun.com on a thing called Mugshot, where they put your picture on a mug and yep. tell it. Yep. And I was right beside Saddam Hussein. Oh, wow. That wasn't a good day. No. And I remember doing community service, and I remember doing, you know, the things I've done and thinking, well, okay. And, yeah, you're right. I've, I've, you know, what is it I say? That spirituality is for people who have been to hell and back, and religion is for people who are afraid of hell. Hmm. I've been there so many times, and yet I still have such faith. And I think a lot of it comes from being on that bus with my mom for 10 years. You know, at the time I thought it was a really mean, cruel trick. Because when you're, when you're 18, you know everything, of course. And uh, my mom was just in my way in so many ways. You know, it's kind of hard to do anything and get away with anything with your mother standing right there. <laughs> and it was, um, but, you know, and, and I have a really beautiful mentor, Don Potter, who's been with me since the very first time I set foot in the studio at age 17. And he's back with me on the road. And he would say to me throughout all this stuff, he'd say, Winona, the world's rejection is God's protection. Because there were things I wouldn't get. And everything from, you know, the TV show I was going to do with Oprah to... You know, there were there were songs I didn't get that maybe I you know would have made my career you know multifaceted or whatever, but things wouldn't happen that I would really set out for. And he'd say that to me, and I'd look at him like, "What does that mean?" And some, you know, there's a bigger, better plan for us that we don't realize. You know, because we want what we want, and we want it now. Yeah, we are we are a tad narcissistic, aren't we? Oh, entitlement. I mean, my children, I just. I can't tell you, I mean, I have so many self-help books on how to be a single parent. I just got my last load from Amazon.com yesterday, how to fool, you know, foolproof um, yourself, <laughs> how to be a parent, you know, and I'm trying really hard, and that's all I can do. And, yeah, I've been to treatment, and I think a lot of it came from the fact that I was so codependent that I... And this is a problem in the church. I mean, there's a large percentage of the people in the church who aren't getting their needs met, and who are obese and who are unhappy and who are living double lives and who are living a lie. And I've been there, and I'm just the one willing to stand up and go, um, did anybody notice that the emperor is wearing no clothes? <laughs> you know, and I'm the one in my family that everybody's like, Winona, go to your room, be quiet. You know, and I've, I've never been one to just sit back and, and watch without saying, hey, wait a minute, I just saw you do that, and what are you doing? And asking questions and seeking and looking and, belligerent enough to say on stage during Tammy Wynette's funeral. And I got banned from country radio at the time um, for saying, you know what, it's really a shame that Tammy Wynette had to die to get her music played as much as it's being played this week on country radio. They banned my record. Come on. 
I mean, seriously. <laughs> so being a maverick for Christ is not exactly, you know, an, an, an unmessy job. No. It's, it's not going to be an easy, and, and, you know, this whole, I remember talking to Rick Warren. I played his church on um, World AIDS Day. And I remember him saying to me, you know, life runs on the two tracks at the same time, like when you're on a train. Good and evil happens at the same time. This whole thing, like we're going to get a free pass because we believe, is not the case. Because I really did think that once I'd get successful and have money in the bank, because we were raised on welfare, you know, once I had money and fame and lots of good friends and everything was just going to be peachy. I think not. Hmm. It's been a real struggle, and quite frankly, the only piece I get is yesterday helping birth seven kittens at moments like that when you realize there really are miracles still happening. You just have to look for them. And you have to work really hard. It doesn't come easy. And I'm waiting to see what God has for our family. And I'm not going to give up. I am my mother's daughter. You know, I watched her almost die three times. And then, oh, I know, let's go do a world tour instead. You know, it's like, what are you doing, Mom? And she's a woman of faith, man. She taught me really well on how to not give up. So it's her fault. Speaking of birthing those kittens, you guys have a boatload of critters around that property of yours. I mean, it is <laughs> it is the most gorgeous piece of land I have ever seen. I think we're up to about 50. I had a friend of mine fly in from L.A. He's never been to Nashville, and he said, Why don't Judd, you are insane. And he said, There's something about you that I'm really drawn to. Because I have more fun. I have a Kubota, and I just bought a backhoe. <laughs> And uh, people don't believe me, and it's okay, because they see me in the you know the rhinestones and the hair jacked to Jesus, and they you know they see me with the boots. The hair? Did you just say the hair jacked to Jesus? Oh yes, honey. When you're in a parade, you must tease. So anyway, you know I'm, I go out on stage to take a break. I'm at home cooking for eight kids, and I've got you know the t-shirt on and the hair in a ponytail, and I'm sweating, and I'm cooking out, and I'm you know we've got hill we call it hillbilly heaven. It's the aquatic fun center here at the Judd Farm. Hmm. And the kids are out there, and I've got the animals. They keep me from from getting too caught up in the Ritz-Carlton room service life. You know, we live on a farm. Ashley, Mom, and I all live on a thousand acres, and we have a lake, and we go down there, and we just sit there. And I'm and I look up at the sky, and sometimes I sit on my front porch and I yell at God, "What are you thinking?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> I can't believe that you guys don't have more. I don't know. I expected a big walled, gated, security cameraed community kind of a thing, but you, I mean, you are just out there in the bush. Well, I have I have a great group of people around me who have made it very clear to me that the more that we try to stay away from something, um, the worse it gets. You know, it's like that person who wants to get rid of. Remember, you know, Caddyshack. He kept trying to get rid of that one really evil. You know, animal. Gopher, yeah. Yeah, the gopher. And I, I, that's kind of how I live. You know, I, I will not live in a prison. Yeah. And I've done that, you know, where I've isolated. and I've. But listen, I've got a 14-year-old with an airsoft gun <laughs> and a golf cart. And he goes down to the gate last week and he says, Mom, there are these, these women down here and they want to know if they can have an autograph. And I said, no. He's like, you're kidding me. You've never said no in your life. I said, this is my home, and you're my, I have children now. It was different when I didn't have children, you know. <laughs> yeah. But now that I have children, I don't want people coming to my home. This is where I rest, and I've set boundaries. But I tell you what, once I leave this property, I've got 8x10s and CDs in the car. I mean, I'm like Miss USA. Yeah, you are. Yeah. You know, Miss America, how, hello, nice to meet you, and yes, Naomi's my mother, and yes, Ashley is my sister. 
and we're crazy, but we get paid for it, and it's awesome. So, yes, we live on a farm. We don't have guns. We don't have, you know, any, you know, people standing at the gate like security guards. This isn't Holly Weird. This is real life out here. <laughs> well, and I think that's a better environment anyway. I mean, just for your kids. Elijah, you said he's, is he 14 now? He's 14, and Grace will be 13 on Sunday. Okay, how's he doing with his hockey? I mean, I'm a Canadian. He's so good. Oh, my God, he's so good. And he, and he acts like it's no big deal, and I'm like, okay, don't push him too hard because then he'll, like, go be a doctor or something. <laughs> but I love watching this kid. He's so talented. What position is he playing? Well, it depends. Okay. Because you know, in his league, they move him around, and but maybe he's usually a right wing. But he here's the deal. He is a gifted athlete, and I've had coach after coach, and I wonder, okay, is part of this because why not a Judd? We want you to sponsor the team. Or is this, you know, your kid's really good? And I've had enough of them validate his, his abilities. And he could care less. That's what I love about it, because he's not in it to win. He loves the experience. And he teaches me a lot about about God, because he'll say stuff to me where I just go, wow, where did this kid come from? Yeah. You know, and Grace is the fourth judge. She definitely said to me the other day, after she came off the, the wilderness program, she goes, I think I want to sing. And I just looked at her like, I am not sharing a bus with you. <laughs> I have done my time. Thank you very much. You'll have to get your own bus. But I will put a movie camera on it and film every move you make. Um, but then, and then she goes, I want to be famous. I said, really, be careful what you ask for, yeah. because it may happen. But I've got two very different kids. Gracie's a sparkler and loves to be, you know, sparkly, and, and Elijah's a, more of the yeah, ice hockey, sweaty, earth kid. Yeah, he's a skateboarder, is he not? He's a skateboarder, and he's yeah. an athlete, and he mows. I just bought him a zero turn. He thinks he's Elvis. I mean, he really does. He thinks he's hunk a hunk of burning love on that thing. You should see him out there with his snacks. He's got a cup holder for crying out loud. I'm like, Elijah, I pushed both ways uphill with a mower. Thank you very much. And you don't get it. He's like, Mother, that was back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh-huh. And then I laugh and we go on. Do you think he'll come back to the guitar or is he going to stick with the drums? I think he's going to stick with, with chicks and with his ice hockey and his mower. I don't think he wants to be in the music business. He does, however, love to be around the guys on the road. He loves the fellowship and the teamship of the crew. So he loves to ride the crew bus and play Wii, and I think more than anything he thinks I tour to support his habit of snacking. Of course. So I don't really think he wants to be in the music business, but I do think that Grace does, and it scares me to death. I also know a lot of good lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, yeah, uh, Stephen Baldwin and I had a conversation about our daughters turning 13, and uh, my daughter's now 16. And anyway, we talked about them starting to date, and, and he said, uh, you know, uh, this is how I'm going to handle it. I figured I've been in about 60 movies. I've spliced together every kick and punch I've ever done, put it into a three-minute trailer. When the boy comes over to date my daughter, I'm going to sit him down in the home theater and say, watch this and have her home by nine. And my mother got pregnant the first time she had sex. Yeah. That's not going to work. No, not going to work. Nice try. Not going to work. (laughs) Right. Well, you know. What you do is you send them to the wilderness and you let them walk for nine weeks and then let them decide. Here's here's my bottom line view. I took texting away from my kids. You know, all I can do is keep them safe and delay it as long as possible of what the inevitable is going to be. And sometimes kids have to make the wrong choices to learn. And that's how I learned. You know, I know what I don't want. I'm definitely an artist who knows what I don't want. I don't ever want to be categorized and, you know, put into one format. That's just not going to work for me. No. Grace is going to have to learn the hard way, and I've had to teach them, you know, that life of privilege is, is not the answer. What is the answer is living on the farm and doing... They don't really love charity work yet, 
You know, they don't exactly get up every morning and say, hey, I can't wait to outgive God today. <laughs> but what they do say is, okay, I'm willing. And I think that's really a, a good start. Oh, that's um, huge. I do have teenagers who come to my home. I make them turn in their electronics, and I say, we're going to play. And they just look at me like I'm an alien, but then they, they won't leave. So I think we're doing something right out here. And I, and I definitely, being in recovery has helped me because there's a lot of good stuff in the spirituality world and recovery world if you combine the two because there's a lot of practicality i'm a very practical believer i don't i'm not one of these that well on stage i can live in the in the heavens because i feel the holy spirit when i'm singing there's no doubt that there's god people say to me well how do you know and i say well when you have a toothache you have a really bad feeling don't you and they're like yeah and i say well how do you know how what what does that mean what is it what's going on they go i don't know but i can feel it and i'm like exactly i can feel the holy spirit can i explain it to you no but I know that I'm a child of God, and I'm not just a chick singer. I had to get there the tough way. Winona, when I was at uh, GMA's last year, you performed at the Nashville Hilton, and uh, your mom's hubby was backing you up. And oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember that? I do remember that. That was really weird. Yeah, well, you were in the zone, I'm telling you. Uh, was I? I was terrified of that, by the way, because I thought there's every... I would rather go to the, you know doctor than than perform in front of industry people because we're all so jaded and we've seen everything <laughs> yeah well during that performance you had mentioned something like it was time for you to get back to singing about what you really loved and i you mm -hmm. know with jesus and so i just wanted to kind of ask you straight up here were you just sucking up to the jesus people or is that no, is that no. really what's been going on lately the only reason i knew that this was even a spiritual talk radio show is because yesterday during the ropes course my office and i went and did a ropes course somebody mentioned it like while we were you know doing tug of war um and i didn't even know i mean i'm the same whether i'm at the white house or in the outhouse i don't care i'm not one of those people that does that i think people know me well enough to know that i'd actually rather be with um the, the prisoners actually i feel more comfortable with with i think that's why people really relate to me because i'm not one of those to be too church lady if anything i want to ride my harley up the aisle and up onto the stage i don't know i just have this fantasy call me crazy I'm definitely a rebel, and I, but I'm a rebel with a cause, and, and I love this. I'm actually wanting to stand more behind the cross, not the cause. But I'm not one of those people who's ever going to be, I always say I'm not a judge, I'm a judge. I'm not one of those people that tells you what to do. I'll tell you my experience, strength, and hope of, of what doesn't work more than I'll tell you, you know, you need to wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. I'll leave that to my mother because she's really good at that. You have so many of these zingers. Jesus and germs are... That's what happens when you spend 10 years on a bus with your mother. You should try it sometime. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. You get all these one-liners because we've learned how to be in the headlines by saying things like, seriously, when we did the last reunion tour, the, the, we were in a press conference, okay, 50 people at least. I don't even remember like seeing past the third row. I was so mortified because I knew Mom was going to say something that just blew me out of the water. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to survive, you know, this AP wire idea. Yeah. And the guy, the very first question, I'll never forget, the guy says, why are you guys doing this tour? And Mom goes, well, because I'm not dead and Winona's not pregnant. <laughs> and I'm looking around like, did she just say that? Oh, man. We definitely had a meeting later that day. I said, Mom, you've got to quit talking about me on Larry King that I have ADD. You've got to quit this. You're my mother. You're a nurse. Stop. <laughs> you know, I'm 45 years old. I have two children. You know, we've had to we've had to promise each other that we won't you know, give each other away too much anymore. Because the fact is, the only thing missing from what people know about me is my my shoe size and my, my dentures, my dentures, my dental records, that people know everything about me. I mean, they know everything about me. Yeah. 
There's really nothing that they don't, uh, that I can think of anyway. Do you look back and regret that? Do you kind of think, man, if I just strategized a little better, then people would be all up in my business? I do. There are times when I think, you know, because I remember when I did Oprah, I got 700,000 emails. 700,000. Good It wasn't night. because I'm cute or that I sang really good. It was because of a couple of things I said, and I'll never forget this. I remember sitting there going, oh, crap, this is going to be one of those, oh, you know, poor Winona, bless her heart, she still struggles. <laughs> because, no, seriously, I went into this thing of, wait, wait a minute, but I can sing really good. But yet the thing I got the most emails over was something that I said that was a bit tragic and, you know, was tough. And I think people were surprised to find that I had struggled and that I had some demons and darkness and all that. And I think, you know, the things I said like, you know, I've never felt worthy of my success. Oprah got a really weird look on her face, like, I don't understand. You know, you're one of the greatest singers of all time. What do you mean? You know, you've never felt worthy. And I said, I was 18 years old. We were on welfare. I, I, I didn't ask for this. I was minding my own business. And I got jerked like Nell from the wilderness and put into the spotlight. And I've never felt like I earned it. I never felt like I did anything to deserve it. I didn't go to college and get a degree. You know, it just happened. It was like winning the lottery. What do I do with this? And I've spent the last 20 years trying to play catch-up, you know, and try to figure it out. And I think other things I said were just, I think they resonated with other believers. And I think people went, oh, my God, why not it's just like me? And I got those emails instead of the ones where they said things like, oh, you're so fabulous, I can't wait to see you in concert. <laughs> no, I didn't get those emails. I got the other ones. So it made me realize that I'm the people's people. I'm not about, you know, I'm about principles, not personalities. I don't care who's in the White House as much as I care about showing up and being part of history. I'm not the kind of person that will say you need to be left or right, black or white. I'm not that way because in my family there's a lot of that. And I think I was the one in the group who said, seriously, you know, my, my mother's definitely Republican, my sister a uh, liberal Democrat, and I'm a Pentecostal. And I'd make jokes just to bail the conversation. I'd be like, can't we all just get along? You know, and then I'd be like, you know, passion the mashed potatoes. Let's, let's move forward with this. Because in my family we spent a lot of time trying to be right more than spending more time being loved, you know, because it was about being right a lot of the years growing up. And I remember thinking, I, I just want everybody to be okay. So I'm the queen of codependency at the time, you know, trying to make people feel better and feel good. And there's a lot of attitude in our family. The three of you should get together and do an Excedrin commercial. Seriously. You know, it's like I keep waiting for people, you know, the hair color product people to call us or something. But you're right. It's like my mom and I just did a show for the, uh, we did a corporate show for the pharmaceutical company, um, like the largest in the history of the world. And mom goes, I'd like to personally thank everyone here for um, antidepressants. <laughs> and I said, mother, speak for yourself. I've just gone off mine. And, you know, we're talking and bantering. And people are fascinated by watching us. They're like, oh, my God, they're like Sonny and Cher and the Smothers Brothers meets. Osborne, yeah. the Brady Bunch. Yeah, Jay Leno said you guys share the same brain. Yeah, he said, you know, the, the two of you make up a whole brain. <laughs> it's fascinating. So, yeah, our family's crazy, and, and it's okay because we put the fun in dysfunctional. Yeah. And, and you know what, people recognize us, and, and they, they can respond to us because they understand that everyone has a mother. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. Um, everybody has a sister or a brother, or most people do, and if not, then they have, you know, a relationship that's very complex. So I think people see themselves in us. I really do. Besides the success, I think people understand that there is... We all live on the same farm, for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, and so it's not easy, but it's worth it. And we don't support everything that we say. We, we show up for who we are to one another. That is family.
you have blessed so many people, and I know, like, I get this feeling that you sometimes deflect love. I think you've got a crack in your love tank. I do, I do. I think it's a lot easier to give than to receive, and that's been a, a definitely a dis-ease in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I get up to go to the bathroom, and I'll meet a girl. There was a girl crying behind the, the employee doors. She was crying, and I was on my way to the bathroom. And I saw her out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, okay, I have a choice here. I can go right go to the bathroom, wash my hands, mind my own business, or I can say, hey, are you okay? And I ended up talking to her for like 30 minutes, and I thought, I was driving home, and I was thinking, you know, it would have been okay for you just to go to the bathroom and wash your hands and come back, but it feels a lot better to know that you've made a difference in someone's life. And I do have that tendency towards forgetting myself, you know. Yeah, I've worked on that, and I've talked to a lot of women who work in the church who do struggle with, feeling worthy and that do go home at the end of the day bankrupt spiritually and they've given it all away and they've saved nothing for themselves. So that's why I do the campaigns I do and I become the spokesperson for as many things as I can just to say um, there is a different way and maybe the way that you're doing it isn't working and you might want to take a look at that and then make some changes. Wynonna, do you think there's a correlation between fear of failure and and a disconnect with a father for, for a lot of women? I think it's possible. Um, I do know, too, that I've been doing a thing called brain training. It's called brainstatetechnologies.com, and you can go online and learn more about it. I'm off four major, major medications because of it. It's balanced my brain. I think that we're taught to be martyrs. Yes, I think we are taught that it is more important to love your neighbor more than yourself. I was taught that. Um, I never understood what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. And Yeah, I think we also have that thing of we feel like we have to do to get into heaven, mm. that we have to um, earn it. And one of my favorite um, services was when my pastor said, you know, have you ever watched a baby sleeping in the arms of his father? And I just began to weep. I mean, I couldn't even, like, pretend, you know, and hide behind my sunglasses. I was, like, dripping down my face. He said, that's, that's really, you know, the kid isn't laying there going, oh, God, I hope my dad doesn't drop me, or what a weirdo. He says, I'm, I'm safe, I'm okay, you know. And he said, it's not our battle to fight. Why do we keep fighting the battle that's not ours? It's already been won. And he went into this whole thing, and I left there just thinking, oh, my God, resting in the arms of the Father, what would that be like? And not worrying so much or pushing so hard. Or... So, yeah, I think we do a lot to screw it up. Well, that's, that's how the shack really helped me out a lot. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking about you. With mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people celebrating Father's Day this time of year. I mean, what goes through your mind around Father's Day, considering the complicated father story you have? I sing, I can only imagine. And I cry pretty much. The other night I sang it at a church. I hadn't been to church in six months. I was taking a sabbatical. And um, my spirit was really wounded. And I hadn't been in church in six months. And I sang at this church. That's probably why I was down there, was to get me back. Um, and I was standing there, and I was starting to sing that song, and I couldn't sing it for for crying. I was really embarrassed. I was making what we call the ugly face, <laughs> the ugly cry face. Where please don't take a picture of this, you know. And I had to have one of my backup singers start the verse because I just I couldn't I couldn't stop crying. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. More like a nightmare, but yet it's just the way it was. I mean, there's nothing I can do to stop it because my reservoir of tears is very still much present in my life. And so, yeah, this is a tough time. I just mailed off today my Father's Day present to my dad, my sister's biological father. Right. And mine died before I got to meet him. And yeah, I that is a out. crazy story. Because your, your birth father passed in 2000? Mm, 
I'd have to look it up because I'm really bad with years. Well, it, it doesn't matter. It was a few years ago, right? Yeah. So what was that like for you, Winona? Oh, uh, devastating. I, I was devastated because I had planned on meeting him a month later, and I put it off because I was busy doing some projects. So, you know, I always tell people life is more important than show business, but in this case I was so booked that I, I kept postponing, and I blew it. And But there's a reason for everything, and I didn't like it, obviously, and it happened for a reason, and I realized that afterwards they found him, I guess four days after he had passed, because he lived so far out in the wilderness kind of thing, that they found him, and they said that they found a, uh, a drawer full of clippings that he had cut out of me. And I oh. tried for like a week, I think it was, and I remember thinking to myself, he's the only person in my life that I never met that never asked anything of me, never asked to borrow money or... Can I get tickets to the, you know, Garthbrook show, or can you get me, you know, tickets to the CMA or whatever? And it was actually a gift, because he was a very simple man. It's probably probably why I live in the country the way I do, because he was a very simple, quiet person. Hmm. And I know people can't believe that that's part of me, but it is. Um, but I think what it showed me was that when I sing, I can only imagine that there is a heavenly father that. I really did not get to meet my earthly father. Now, as a matter of fact, I saw his picture for the first time in a tabloid. And I learned about him because they followed him around and got him to do a story because he's so naive. I mean, he, he'll talk to anybody from what I understand. And he told them some stuff, and he said, I'm proud of her. And that's the only thing I ever got from him through a tabloid was, isn't that weird? But I remember thinking, boy, this is just not real. This can't be, this is just so bizarre. But yet that was my story, and so I never got to meet him. And I sing, I can only imagine and remember that, that there's a bigger picture. So, And Father's Day is really weird for me. It's a very bittersweet time. And yet, I have so much to be thankful for. I try to go through my gratitude list. And if I need to cry, I cry. And if I, if I need to go take a Harley ride, I take a Harley ride. And if I need to take a nap, by God, I'll take a nap. But it just happens that it's my daughter's birthday, so I'll probably be out you know, putting sunblock on all the kids. <laughs> well, I can only imagine gets gets me a little uh, a little weepy. Just between you and I, uh, gets me a little. It's on weepy. my DVD, and I hear more about that. It's not even my song. This is what's so funny about life. It's not even my song, and I get more comments and more mail about that song. Because when I filmed it, when I filmed the DVD, there's a moment when I'm looking out and I can see Tim and Faith sitting there, and I can see Keith Urban, and I can see all these you know youngsters that I helped raise. <laughs> And uh, seriously, you know, and Billy Dean and all these artists are sitting out there in the audience, and I thought, boy, I want to be really cool, and I want to do the right moves and look really hip. And I started crying, and I thought, this really stinks. And I just, that's the, everybody's favorite part in the DVD, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. that No wonder we turn our head when there's a wreck. We can't help ourselves. You yeah. know, we have to rubberneck. And people, the, the room changed, and I sang I Can Only Imagine, and, I, and I'm telling you, it changed the entire room. And after that, it was almost like I could have said anything, and they would have probably done it. Well, yeah, because it goes from performance to relational. Absolutely. It becomes it's something that I've learned in my, in my 25 years. I celebrate this year, thank you, of being on the road, that I used to, listen, it's Winona Incorporated for a reason. And I'm a pusher and a, and a trudger, and I can show up and kick butt wherever I need to. But I think the last year, Don Potter's been with me, and he's taught me that the only thing I'm supposed to do is show up and wait for God to walk through the room. Yeah. And I never got that. I always thought that I had to make it happen, you know, and I had to earn the standing ovation. No, I just need to help release the Holy Spirit. And what can I do to do that? And that is be present, be fully, fully grounded, and be open. 
to whatever, and there are times when we will go two minutes without singing, and we will just let the music play. And I'll feel something, and I'll go with it. And next thing I know, I get a, a letter from a girl who said, I haven't been to church in ten years, and, and I'm going, because I felt something that night. I mean, you never know. No. All you can do is just, just be there and support people and encourage them and not judge them or try to tell them what to do. I've already tried that. It doesn't work. Um, and you, and you set yourself up, you know. So I'm, I'm learning a lot about just being and showing up to sing is my greatest joy. I actually do it um, to take a break. <laughs> it's my play time. It's my dream time. And I, I think I encourage a lot of other people to follow their heart. Well, we, we've got to talk about this CD. We've got to let you go. You have given us just ridiculous amount of time. And I want to thank you, obviously, because... I think the transparency is fairly obvious. You're one of the most authentic gals that I've really come across, and I really appreciate that. I've had enough performance from various people throughout the years, so thanks thanks for, for sharing your guts, I guess. Well, my life depends on it now. My recovery depends on being so truthful and being willing to let the veil be lifted. And what's that line about friends or what happens when you find everything out about someone and you love them in spite of it? Yeah, but isn't that weird? That, I mean, uh, let me jump into the counseling chair for a second here. I don't let people in. I have the wall. I have trust issues. And, I mean, I'll listen to people till the cows come home. That's one thing I miss the most about pastoring when I was in Australia was being paid to be available uh, for people. Mm-hmm. But, hear that. But when it comes time to, for, for me to kind of open up and, and, and let someone else's light shine through, man, I have a tough time with that. Well, you probably haven't had experiences that were too many on the side of um, life-giving. You know, we have a lot of experiences in life that traumatize us and when I did my brain training the guy who founded it said I I literally had the brain of a prisoner I had so much static in my brain because my life has gone so fast for so long that the only time that I was ever calm when it, when it was when I was eating or sleeping and that really really resonated with me because wow. I was always such a doer and a worker bee was a lot of what I was known for first person to show up last person to leave so I hear that the service part of you is really intact but the part that was for me was the receiving. I'm not really good at that. And it's only been in the last, I think, year that I've been able to really receive and let people in, like you said. It's really easy to give and to be smart and to show up and say the right things. And It's really hard to not know the answers and to be vulnerable. And God has kicked my butt lately. I'm like, you know what? I, I did like a home improvement, that show. And I'm not kidding you. I literally went into the director and I said, listen. I'm crying in every scene. Can you find one moment where I'm not crying and please show that? Because I cried the entire time I was there, and I thought, these people are going to think I need to be medicated or something. Because I, it, my heart just opened up, and I just couldn't stop crying. And I thought, and Don said, you know what? Let them see the cracks in your armor, honey. That's how the light gets out. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? Kiss my butt. I'm tired of hearing that. That is not working for me. And Don said, well, that's too bad because we have to walk through the fire. And that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm telling you, I cry all the time. I'm like one big Hallmark card. And it's just ridiculous. You sent me over the edge uh, just last night. I I happened to kind of hunker down into that scene of uh, Touched by an Angel where you were playing the mother of the dying boy. Oh, my yeah. God, that was so not a stretch. But anyway, I'm just one of those people, so you're right. I, I know what it feels like to give, but to receive, and I know how to deflect really well, and I know how to self-deprecate. I mean, I know how to do it all, because my mom was always the one who had, you know, the, the perfectly starched collar and everything matched, and I'd be like, I felt like a, the messy, remember Pigpen? And, yeah, yeah. You know, I always felt like the misfit and the one who didn't fit in, and 
Yet, isn't it interesting that the characters in the Bible are the ones who had the most struggles and were the ones who went left, that Jesus really, he would leave the 99 to go find that one. And I'm that one. But are you one person. are you okay being all by yourself alone? Like when no. the crowds are done, right? The media's all done. The people have gone away, and and uh, you find yourself all by yourself alone. I am now, but it used to be isolation, and now um, slowly it's becoming solitude. There is a cut on the record. Um, I'm so lonesome I could cry, which is actually a track vocal, which means from start to finish it's one take. And the only actually that's not true. The very last line, the cry, I was crying so hard they had to redo the cry. But the rest of the song is a track vocal, and the reason is is because it comes from real life. I'm becoming more content with being alone, and this is going to sound really corny, but it's just a fact. If you separate the AL from the O-N-E, it's all one. And it really has become more all one with God, rather than I'm alone and struggling and suffering. And I used to be there, believe you me. There were days when I did not get out of bed. And I was on four medications for depression, stage three, pretty much. But now I have a peace that surpasses all understanding, thanks to Brain State and you know all these great mentors and counselors around me, like Paul. Paul said to me... Wait, you mean Paul Young? Paul Young, excuse me. Brother Paul said to me, either everything matters or nothing matters. Hmm. And this is over lunch, okay? This guy's deep. And I'm like, what did you just say? And he's that way. I mean, it's just like he's so intense. Yeah. It's like, I wow, let me write that down. And, I, and I'm, I'm a student, you know, and I meet all these wonderful people like Maya Angelou, and I'm, I meet these characters, and they say things to me that are just so beautiful that I've become more content knowing that being unique is lonely. And sometimes I'm the only one at my party, but boy, I'm dancing naked in the sunlight, you know, like I don't even care. I mean, seriously, it's like David. It's like, here's me, <laughs> you know, yeah. in all my glory. <laughs> and I think that's why people really relate to me, because they see me struggling, right? You know what we call it? And this, I can't even believe I'm saying this, because this is so family. We call it doing the tap dance with a load in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I'm telling you this for a reason, because I know someone out there needs to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this, folks. Somebody needs to hear this, because... Sometimes in life, when you don't have the answer and you don't know, sometimes you do have to just show up and walk through and, and smile. And that's, I'm not saying be fake. I'm not saying show up and act like you're smart and have all the answers. I'm just saying be thankful in all things. It doesn't say be thankful for all things. Thank you very much. It says be thankful. So the other day, the electricity goes out, and I'm trying to get ready. And I'm like, well, I guess God wants my hair to be curling today. <laughs> I mean, all you can do is, you know, be better or bitter, right? So I call it tap dancing, where I showed up and I acted like I was just Miss Sunshine. And you know what we call it? We call it fake it till you make it, which means you do the action, love is more than a feeling. You do the action and your heart will catch up. And that's what happened. I, was, I showed up, not real happy. I had to take a moment to do some deep breathing in with peace, out with anger. <laughs> and I got off the bus. And I thought, I am going to go in there and kick the devil's butt. I'm going to give him a heart attack, and that's just the way it's going to be. And I'll be darned if I didn't go in there, and this little 70-year-old woman walked right up to me. I, I kid you not, and she started crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I am so grateful to be here. And she just looked right at me, like literally it was like an angel thing, like I knew God sent her just for me. And she said, um, my granddaughter couldn't get in line. She had waited for like three hours or something crazy. She's 70. And she said, for my birthday, 
my granddaughter saved up her money to get me here to Nashville. And she just was like this little light, this little moment of joy that just was like shazam, you know, here's your here's your bonus. And I, I tell you what, I wanted to take her home with me. I just thought, where did this woman come from in the middle of all this craziness? We call it organized chaos. You know, the signing for five hours is a long line. But she just zapped me, and I thought, this is why I'm supposed to be here. You know, this sweet woman who's 70 years old, and we have nothing in common except for music, really. I mean, we're from different walks of life. But in that moment, there was a transparency, and she cried, and I cried, and I thought, this is ridiculous. Somebody get a clean <laughs> you know? But that's what it's about, was that human contact moment. And if I hadn't showed up, I would have missed that. And I can see her in my mind's eye right now the cutest, sweetest little polyester pants, just as adorable with her little, you know, orthopedic shoes on and her little perm. Oh, she was so cute. So she had a perm, too. She did have a perm. <laughs> and I had lots of hairspray and product in my hair. We were so cute together, and I thought, this is it. This is what it's all about. This is not an HBO special where you change the channel. This is real life. You know, I, I really don't know enough about you to sort of fawn all over you because, as I said earlier, to, to be honest, it wasn't until my wife drug me out to your concert up at Casino Rama that I really got a snapshot of who you are. But mm -hmm. I now know enough about you to respect you as, mm. uh, for, well, I guess two things, mesmerizing vocalist, seriously. And I'm a tad arrogant when it comes to uh, my musical flavorings. Well, you're also a pastor, and pastors tend to be leaders and speakers. And well, I used to be. Don't, well, you know I, what I'm saying. Well, to me, it's just obvious that God has been on your backside. Boy, oh boy. Water in my face, piercing of the heart. Um, I'm at that point in my journey where there is a light in the distance, and I'm trudging like uphill through the storm with my head up high, and don't be afraid of the storm. Walk on. I mean, that's my life story. Hmm. That's, that's who I am. I've been, you know, slapped on the back of the legs with a stick. I've done it all in terms of correction and getting back on the path. And now what am I going to do with it? I'm going to raise these two kids to be better than I was growing up. Because when I was their age, I wanted out. Get me away from this crazy family. <laughs> so what did God do? He put me on a bus with her. Yeah. And I had to find peace of mind in the midst of all the craziness, and we survived it and we made it and we're closer than ever sorry tabloids but we get along so well that we now are mirroring each other and saying so what i hear you saying is please don't pinch your cheeks in public yes mother that would be really great <laughs> no seriously i mean that's what that's what our family is in recovery and healing because we have worked our butts off and we are trudging and people out there you have to you just have to continue to stay in a process do not get isolated and off to the side and think that you're entitled because it's just it's a, it's a lie so you're right we're, we're really experts aren't we well your mom said to me that she likes to mention in public when she's out with you girls that that she's never had a drink she says that just drives you guys nuts well no she says i've never drank a beer oh is that it but talk to her about her special lemonade oh really <laughs> she loves a good margarita every now and then really you know what i'm saying is she is so <laughs> like one of those girls who will say i've never dr i've never been drunk in my life i've never had a beer um Oh, by the way, and I, so here comes me after that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Mom, I guess we forgot the part in the book where Papal Judd, her father, you know, died of alcoholism and, and all these things, and it's like, there's so much addiction in our family, don't get me started. Yeah. Let us not partake in this conversation. <laughs> Let's move forward and talk about feminine hygiene products. And then everybody laughs and we move forward. But the truth is, we're all walking contradictions. 
we all have people around us that supposedly, you know, are related to us that are our relatives. But the family of choice is who I'm surrounded by now, which means these are people who say, Winona, that was not such a good idea. You know. <laughs> well, she she told me that her therapist said to her, you know, it's obvious you you really love your kids, but your technique sucks. You know what? That's that's like one of my he's like one of my favorite people in the, in the world because we just had a, a meeting with him, and he'll say that stuff, and I'm like, um, would you say that again, please? Yeah, just a little louder. He'll go, he'll go, Naomi. I know you really mean well. Your timing is really off, and I'm just I'm trying not to make faces or stand on my head and spit quarters, but it's the truth. Our family is so passionate and so different, yet we're at every function together because we're, we're just not going to give up. The best description of you is you are like an injured bird hungry for the sky. <gasps> I can't believe you just said that because I just texted that to someone today. Come on. I just met a guy from L.A. who's very L.A. And he's never been to Nashville. And after a week with me, he was like, you're one of the craziest most beautiful people I've ever been around. I'm like laughing, you know, because he's, you know, I've got my hair on top of my head, like, you know, bam, bam. And I'm like sweeping the back porch. And he says, you're, you're the weirdest person I've ever known. And he's only known me a week and we're friends. And, and he's, uh, texting me today saying, I'm sending you a book, uh, Marianne Wolf Williamson book. And I, he said, who are you? And I texted him that back. I said, I'm a wounded bird hungry for the sky. Wow. And if I spread my wings and try long enough, I'm bound to learn to fly. So I'll just keep on falling in love until I get it right. Excuse me? Is that like one of the most beautiful lyrics ever written? Yeah, I'm thinking that's an epitaph for somebody. That, and I told you I was sick. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Sorry. I have a really weird sense of humor. Hey, listen, I grew up in the funeral business. You don't get any, uh, you know, sicker than I do when it comes to... Well, you know who told me that? was go Good old Gomer Pyle told me that. Oh, really? Yeah, he said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> That's what he's going to put on his tombstone. Sing Chapter One, latest release of classic covers in a follow-up to your 2006 Christmas album called A Classic Christmas. Man, you're just doing whatever the heck you want to do, aren't you? Well, I'm doing what, you know what, it took me a year and a half, but I whittled it down to the things that vibrate in my soul the most because, you know, when I sing these songs, every cell in my body just literally vibrates with joy. And those are the songs I love the most today. Next year it could be 80s rock. I don't know. Next year it could be a gospel record. Um, Bill Gaither just called me today and left me a message and said, Girl, I'm coming back to Nashville. I've got to have lunch with you. You're one of the funniest people I've ever been around. I think he thinks I'm entertainment or something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm kind he's, of resenting this. I'm he's supposed just getting, to be like this great singer, but you think I'm funny? He's getting sick of Mark Lowry. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, Mark was there. Oh, okay. And Mark and I are never going to get along because there's no one to listen because we're <laughs> both laughing and telling jokes so much. But Mark is like, you are crazy. And all these people are telling me, you're like, you are nuts. But you know what? I say what I feel, and I feel what I say. And Bill Gaither's calling me, and he said, kid, you're one of a kind. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's what my mom <laughs> keeps saying. But you know what? I'm my own kind. I guess I'm in my own group, in my own class, all by myself. <laughs> well, Is that a good thing? I guess so. The, what you're releasing and how you're releasing it at this point in your career, you are doing the same thing as my all-time favorite, Mr. <laughs> Mr. James Taylor. His Christmas album blew me out of the water, and now he's released a couple of cover CDs. It's in my it's in my CD player. I swear to you. What is the CD of James Taylor? That's what I'm listening to. Right oh, now. serious? And I'm I'm seriously going to add shower the, shower the people in my show. I've oh. already I've already like got it on my list of symphony show add-ons. I'm doing shower the people. It's done. D-U-N. Done. Nice. 
That's my favorite. He is my absolute favorite, him and Bonnie Raitt. Because they're, you know what? They're like the beautiful solid oak tree that, that bends but doesn't break. And it's there in the storm. And regardless of the season, it is there. And it is what it is. And you don't see him, you know, conforming or changing. No. He is who he is. And it's like, when I get really sideways, that's who I listen to. Yeah, that's the same thing. Same kind of headspace. When I was living in Australia, there'd be this rock at the end of a headland that you could only get to when the tide went out. Mm-hmm. And I don't let it go unless I'm convinced no one's anywhere within earshot, okay? Right. So I crawl out to this rock, and I know I've got a few hours before the tide comes in, before I get stuck. So, mm-hmm. And I know no one can see me or hear me out there, and I just mm-hmm. let it fly. And then when I'm all done by letting it fly, my drive back, I'd, I'd throw in a little JT, and I'd be, I'd be good to go. That is that the greatest music ever? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny you said that, because I played it yesterday on the way to the ropes course and back, and we're singing, you've got a friend, and it's just so corny. It's awesome. Now, who's your favorite talk show host? Because you and Leno go back a long way. Didn't he open for you in Vegas? Mm-hmm. He did. I have the picture to prove it. So um, I saw you two together, and I thought for sure there was something between you and Jay until I saw you and Craig Ferguson, and I realized you're just, I'm you're, tell you what, you're just a big old flirt is Craig what it is. is at, before I even went out there, he <laughs> hugged me, and I had so many sparkles all over me. He had sparkles all over him, by the way, from <laughs> hugging me. I just thought that was the greatest moment of my entire career. Um, my favorite was Johnny Carson. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Johnny Carson was my favorite. He adored my mother and me. I mean, we were on his show. And we would flip-flop about who got to sit next to him because we'd argue about it. And I'd say, Mom, next commercial, I'm sitting next, you know, to, I'm, I'm sitting there in that chair. And she just would look at me like, I will take you out. <laughs> and I'd be like, Mom, I'm the lead singer. You know, and, and we would fight over who got to sit next to him. He was my absolute favorite. There was a real sadness and a real sense of success all mixed together. And there was just this vulnerability that I loved about him. I saw you in an interview, I think it was your first national television performance, uh, February 11th, 1984, and I can't figure out who it was that was interviewing you. It was like a country music show, had a full head of hair on him. But anyway, you had a lovely little teal pantsuit number. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? I'm telling you, it was just, uh, it was the 80s, right? So, you know, there's... Of course it was. And it was a lot of us just apologizing for what we wore and how high our hair was, but... Man, it was it was tough. But as much as that outfit was really hard to take my, my eyes off of, um, I was actually drawn to what looked like a, a jumbo guild in your hand. Are you still playing that? Oh, I totally have it right here in my office, and it's my very first guitar. It's blonde. Are you talking about the blonde one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I've got a jumbo guild as well. That's se- my very se- first guitar besides the small little Yamaha that my dad has that I think he's holding out on me like he won't give it to me because he's <laughs> going to put it in the Smithsonian, I guess. But I've got a guild sitting right here that is my absolute, I know we're not supposed to covet, but yeah. in guitar world, oh yeah, this is like the big, okay, you can have my Harley, because I'm keeping my guild. I've got a 74 jumbo guild, I feel the same. Then we're like related. <laughs> I think so, but but we're not related, because I never wore anything so nasty in my life. Listen, spandex is coming back. Come on, that's, it's <laughs> banned in 52 my states. My mother handed me the very first dress that I wore on the... Slap the dog and spit in the fire horizon award. Uh, CMA back in '84, I think it was. <laughs> it's pink, it's like bubblegum pink, <laughs> and it's a ball gown and it's satin. And my mother handed it to me at the museum last week, and I just looked at her like, "You have got to be kidding me." Do you still have that white fringe leather thing you wore with Bono? Yep, somewhere in a box. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I am so fabulous in my white leather. And I am fringy, and he calls me up out of the audience. Like, and I'm, this is before I'm famous. This is back like 
before, like in 82, when I had just graduated. I hope you don't wear it when you come up this way. By the way, speaking of coming up this way, uh, you're more than welcome to come over to the ranch for a little uh, tour through horse country, a little Tim Hortons coffee and, and donut. Your mom invited me over for for muffin and tea or something like that. Muffin? We don't say muffin around here. Oh, uh, well, but cupcake? I don't know. We say donuts. Oh, do you? We we um we have Krispy Kreme here. It's not on the Ally program, but um, when I come to Canada, I'm going to take a nap. I love your guts and everything, but do you think I come on the road to visit? There is no way. I'm going to be in my bed, laying there like the diva rock star wannabe, and my kids are going to be here hmm. and really loud with their friends, and I'll be on my bus acting like... It's all about me. Oh, you're on the bus. You're not even up. And see, I went up to the suites to interview James Brown. They've got some beautiful suites in there. Oh, do they? Up at Casino Rama. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You know what? I may or may not go up into the room because they kind of, hotel rooms depress me, and so I tend to stay on the bus because I'm like locked behind like the Get Smart three double doors, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and so I get on there with my dog and I watch movies and I write postcards and I just hang out. It's my sort of be by myself time. Otherwise, I'm like Miss America. If I'm off the bus, I'm like you know meeting everybody and their brother and cousin and aunt and uncle. I so when I'm it. on that bus, I am like so in my pajamas. Don't talk to me. <laughs> you know, Livingston Taylor saying that's um, uh, me in my pajamas or something. I can't remember. <laughs> well, that's my life. When I'm not working, I'm in you know the pants that you wear with the stretch waistline and the tennis shoes and the hair and the ponytail. Otherwise, I am like so of myself, so I have two lives, but I will be on the bus, I'll be getting ready for the show, I will come out there, and I will sing from my toenails, and I will act like I am the loudest <laughs> person at the party. 2006, you and I got a nice little snapshot together, it's up on our website, and uh, I treasure that. This is, a re this is a real cross-section of all the different genres I grew up with, it's all me, it's all part of the tapestry of who I am, this record is musical ADD, it's that simple. By the way, you know what ADD stands for? Attention deficit. Boy, your hair looks good. Oh my gosh! Hey, what's that joke? How many how many ADDs does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. Want to go ride bikes? <laughs> okay, I'm using that one. I mean, that's so me, but at least I can get paid for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, every genre. Let me finish this quote, will you? Okay. Every Stay focused. <laughs> uh, every genre is represented on this record, and by God, it works. It's all the different chapters of my life. Uh, these are part of the backdrop of everyday life in the Judd family. It's snapshots of joy, pain, sorrow, life, death, divorce, kids, the whole enchilada. And, folks, it's called Sing Chapter One, and I think it's just the beginning of a whole new season from Winona Judd. It's an enchilada with rice and beans and extra guacamole. Thank you very much. Excuse me. Sorry. I neglected to mention <laughs> I have that. the whole enchilada with lots of sour cream. <laughs> you know what? Thank you. I like you. I really oh. like you. Oh, I could go on living. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, you know what? I deflect. I'm sorry. Let me rub that in. Thank you for saying that because um, I'm just trying to be myself and get paid for it. But that's why I like you is because you've you've opened up your closet and shown us a bit of mess. and. Uh, yeah. You're a kindred spirit. So. And God loves me, and my best is good enough. It is messy, and life is messy, and birth is messy, and so deal with it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Thank you, Winona. All right, my friend. Well, Thank God be with you, and come see me. Plan your day around it. <laughs> I certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to our next chapter. Thank you, Why. Together. Bye. Bye-bye. I'll just keep on falling in love 
until I get it right Right now I'm like a wounded bird Hungry for the sky If I try my wings And try long enough I'm bound to learn to fly So I'll just keep on Falling in love Till I like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca. Has opened up more times than it. And I'm neither fool or wise enough to open it again.